Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Saturday, the 6th of March, 2010. You know, on my last shows, I had talked about the courts, how they work, how basically you and I, if we ever got into a a defensive situation, how we would go from contact with police uh, up through the court systems, through initial appearances and sentencing, all that type of thing. And hopefully I was able to answer some questions or at least shed a little bit of light on that. One thing I don't know if I had hit on too much was in juvenile court, which was where pretty much all my experience came from, you didn't have any jury trials. So it was just the attorneys, the accused. Uh, sometimes there'd be witnesses, so you'd have victims in there sometimes, uh, you know, probation officer, things like that. But you never really had a jury trial. Now, however, in adult court, you do have jury trials. And this can kind of cut both ways. Sometimes it's going to be in your best interest to have a jury. Sometimes it would be in your best interest to have the judge, you know, and no jury. Uh, Because a lot of times the judges are uh, immune, shall we say, to some of the shenanigans or antics that either side, either the public defender or the the prosecutor's office, or I guess I should have said... uh, it's not public defender, like I said before. I'm so used to saying that because that was the, the realm that I dealt with. But basically the defense, the defense attorney or the prosecuting attorney side, the judges, again, are le- a lot less likely to be swayed by things that aren't going to hold water. So uh, some of the grandstanding and things that can go on in a jury trial a lot of times won't happen with that judge. However, sometimes, though, having that jury who can have some empathy and some understanding with the situation that you were in may be able to help you. Uh, And again, if you were going in front of a judge, it may be the thing that you get that judge, and I've talked about this stuff before, who is going to advocate his political agenda, his or her political agenda, I should say, from the bench. What we're going to talk about today is, and again, this will go back with some of my experiences with the, the people that I dealt with on, when I'm in juvenile probation. And some of you guys out there may say, well, you just dealt with kids. But that's really not true. In a lot of ways, in my friends in adult probation that I had had a lot less hassle than I did because they were dealing primarily with that person. Uh, so let's say it's a, uh, you've got a guy who's 21 years old and he's... Uh, chronic shoplifter or he's a guy who's a sells drugs every every once in a while to to feed his habit type thing you don't have to deal with their parents now sometimes you do and and extended family members but really you don't have to have a lot of contact with those people if you don't want to in my situation you had to have contact with parents you had to have a lot of times you had to have contacts with brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and the list goes on and on and on all of whom you had to spend at least some time with uh, because you're dealing with you know a person who's not an adult so i got to see a a very wide spectrum of people Uh, most of my time i dealt with uh, kind of the poor areas of town there were a few times where i had people that had a lot of money uh, but mainly i dealt kind of with um sort of the worst of the worst uh, as far as what their the neighborhoods that they lived in uh, the the uh, actions that they took things like that 
But what we're going to talk again about, we're going to get back to get back on track a little bit. We're going to talk about that criminal mindset and that uh, how they justified stuff. And this is going to be things from what I saw. And also it'll be things from both uh, how the kids saw stuff and also how their parents and grandparents and and uh, cousins and aunts and uncles and all that stuff who were adults saw things and how they justified things. So before we jump into that, let's go ahead and get some of our contact info out of the way. If you want to contact me, there's two or three ways to do it. The best way to do it is to send me an email or leave me a voicemail. You can send or an MP3. You can send me a email a couple of ways, either at firearmscafe at gmail.com or you can leave a comment over on the forums under the Firearms Cafe section. Hey guys, this is a quick drop-in. I did get a couple of comments that people weren't able to leave a comment actually at the website, so at Firearms Cafe or at thearmedape.com. Part of the reason that I did that earlier was because I was getting a lot of spam, so I went in, tweaked the um, settings, but again, the same thing happened. I just got so much spam, it ha- and it started happening literally within probably an hour of me changing those settings. So I went back, redid them. If you want to leave a comment but you're unable to, just send me an email. And what I can do is I can actually go back in and just edit that in to the post and just say this is comments or uh, you know something like that to where it'll get there if you want to do it that way. If you'd like to record a MP3 to have it played on the show, uh, that'd be awesome. I'd love for you guys to do that. You can, uh, again, send that to me through um, firearmscafe at gmail.com. And if it's a little bit longer recording, you may want to use a a service that I've used a bunch, and it's called transferbigfiles.com. The way that works, I'll explain it just real quickly, is they're a, a separate website. They have their own servers. You would record your MP3, upload it to them, and give them my email address. They'll email me and say, this person, you have a file that's waiting for you to be downloaded. I then go to their service and download that file to my computer. And the reason you do that is a lot of times our email clients won't let you transfer. They only let you transfer a certain amount of uh, information, I guess we could say, for lack of a better word, in your in your individual email. So if it's too, if the file is too big or your attachments are too big, they're going to say, well, you know, split it up into different things. But this is a way that you can kind of get around that. And again, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Now, that speaking about stuff costing and things being free, all our shows, of course, are free. Uh, all the shows that are on the network are free. Uh, both my shows are free. So this show and the Armed Date podcast are free. However, the the cost of having these shows isn't free. It does cost things. And Mark had sent out a message the other day, and I I think some of you guys may have heard on Eric's show, that we need to have some donations coming in. uh, Or there may be some shows that might be let go. Uh, Parts of the network may be greatly reduced. I don't know if the forums would still be able to stay up or not. Um, Now, and also, I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I'm not already doing. So if you're a listener, I'm asking you to just do a yearly subscription. It's 24 bucks. I'm a subscriber, so I pay 24 bucks a year just like everybody else. I also now this also goes to everybody out there who's podcast who's a podcaster. 
if you're and if this steps on your toes, well, sorry, too bad. I pay for my hosting. I pay for my domain name. I pay for any extra bandwidth. And I think probably just about everybody out there is doing that. But if you're not, you need to step up to the plate and you need to take the responsibility and you need to take that monetary burden off a of mark. If it's a thing where you're saying, well, I'm not too tech savvy about how the shows get uploaded and all that stuff, that's fine. If he's still willing to be able to do that, that would be great. And he can kind of take that burden off of you. But it shouldn't cost him one penny. You need to be paying for your hosting. You need to be paying for your domain names. So that's enough begging and whining and, and pleading for money. So let's jump right in and let's talk about some of that criminal element that I dealt with. And I guess the, the first thing that I should start out with and the first thing that I should do is give you my initial experience with the criminal element. When I first started working for the court system years and years ago, I, I was working in what they called an on-call position. And that meant that I wasn't a full-time employee. They would just call me in as needed. And, and the way they used to, and, and it was primarily would be in detention. Now, it wasn't like you just went down and filled out an application. And then they said, okay, well, you hi we'll hire you and you start tomorrow. What you had to do is you, you would go down, of course, you did have to fill out an application, of course. You, from there, you also had to be fingerprinted. They did a background check on you. They did a, um, a psychological evaluation on you, and you also had to take a polygraph exam. And this is just, again, to do part-time work. And the reason that you had to do all that stuff is because you were going to be having access not only to sensitive information, but you had access to people who were uh, underage. So you had access, you were going to be working with minors, people who were not considered legally to be adults in our society. So they needed to make sure that you're not some uh, scumbag or you're not some, uh, some type of sexual predator that is going to go in and make things worse. Also, they need to make sure that you're not a type of person who would use your position to further uh, criminal acts. Uh, so let's say that if I were a gang member, well, I, if I'm working inside the juvenile court or working inside uh, any court system, for that matter, I'm going to be able to have access to certain information, and I could use that to harm other people. And it could be other, other gang members, or it could be to, to get uh, what would be perceived as uh, payback or retribution on a witness against you or on maybe even on a victim. So long story short about that is, when I first kind of came into the, the detention system and was working there, I, had, I was under the impression that, I, and I wasn't, it wasn't a naive thing. In a, in, a, in, a, in a certain way it was, in a certain way it wasn't. I had not had a lot of experience with the criminal element up until that point. Um, I had sort of that typical view of, well, you know, bad things happen, and yeah, there is a criminal element out there, and I, and I, did, I understood that people got robbed and shot and murdered and raped and all that stuff, but it was something that was kind of distant from me, and a lot of times you think, and this is the impression that I was under, that, well, you know, if those guys had just gotten a break here or there, um, they wouldn't have turned out this way, or 
they're just misunderstood. If they could just get it, you know, again, if they could just get a, a deep one chance, if somebody would just give them one chance or, you know, maybe just, yeah, they messed up again, but let's just give them another chance and see what they do, then they would be fine and, and they wouldn't go back to that criminal lifestyle. And once I started to meet these people and interact with these people on a daily basis and would be around them for eight hours a day, five days a week, and sometimes I'd be around them for 16 hours a day if I had to work a double shift, you, your eyes start to open. The scales start to fall off. And you start to understand a few things that you didn't before because you were on the outside looking in. A lot of times on these prison shows and things like that, when you watch TV, they'll talk about the the guards or the people that work there, the staff that works there. will say that, you know, I'm locked in with them. You know, I do my I, I do the time with them, only I do my time eight hours a day. And that's something that until you've worked like in a correctional institution or a, a detention type facility, you don't really understand that because you're while you do have a key to get in and out, there are certain access points where you can't get out unless somebody sort of buzzes you or unlocks that door for you. So in a very real sense, even though you have keys to certain doors in the facility, you're locked in there with them. And it it, it just gives you a really unique perspective. Um, what I saw was that there was very little remorse for their actions. They were sorry that they got caught. And I know this sounds cliche, but it's true. They were really sorry that they got caught, and they were sorry that they were locked up, and they were sorry that they were going to have to go through the court system, and they were sorry that they may have to pay a fine or do work or get put on probation or uh, you know, eventually get sent to Department of Corrections. But they weren't sorry for the pain and suffering that they caused other people. They weren't sorry for any of the damage that they had done. They can care less about that. Kind of going back to a little bit of me being able to sort of have my eyes open to the reality of, of the situation and the type of people that I was dealing with. You know, in a lockup situation, these guys and girls can only pretend for so long, and then you're going to start to see their true colors come through. So even if you have someone who is a good manipulator and who can put on a good front most of the time, eventually... Something's going to happen, and eventually you'll see that person's true nature. You know, we think that on the outside world that we see people that feel that they're entitled to things. We see people that have a big sense of entitlement. But I tell you what, you would not believe the sense of entitlement that people who are locked up have. Instead of being in there and thinking, man, the things that I did were awful and and uh, maybe I do deserve this punishment. They don't feel that way. They feel that they have a bunch of stuff coming to them. They get mad when they don't get, you know, if they, if they feel that they're not getting phone calls or if they don't have a color TV that they can watch or if they don't have radios in their rooms, things like that. So, uh, and again, that goes back to some of these people's true natures. They're basically very, very selfish people at their fundamental cores. Kind of one final thing on uh, institutional behavior. These guys do act differently if they have upcoming or ongoing courts. Uh, they don't want to do things that are going to maybe ruin their chance of getting out. But that same person will act much differently if they're getting sentenced to, uh, to jail or they know that they're going to end up doing a lot of time. 
So let's take a look at some of that behavior when they're outside of the of a institutional setting. And when we're looking at that, the one thing that we really need to talk about is justification if we want to understand a little bit about some of these people. Almost all these people have some justification in their minds for what they what they have done and for the way that they have chosen to live their life. And I heard over and over again a justification for robbing people or for taking things, uh, for breaking into people's homes. They would justify it by saying, look, if you're not strong enough to keep me from taking it, then it's fair game. And then I would ask them the question, well, what happens if somebody takes something from you? And they would answer with, well, if I wasn't strong enough to keep it, then you know that's just kind of the way it is. But they really don't believe that. If somebody takes something from them, they're just as outraged and feel just as violated and feel just as uh, victimized as anybody else. And they're also more like they're also just as likely to try and call the police and say, "Hey, I was robbed." Even though they say, oh, I don't like the police and I hate the police and I don't want anything to do with them. Again, a lot of their justifications, again, it's just that. A lot of these things that they talk about or how they have this code that they live by, it's all pretty much BS. One of the things, though, that I that I did learn about and had to realize and accept was that these people come from a different world than I do. And the things that I would consider and probably you as out there in the listening audience would consider to be normal social behaviors and where we would see certain lines as being drawn, those social codes and those lines are much different from yours or from mine. They're used to being in a world where confrontation, threats, and fighting, and by that I mean actually getting into physical throwing and taking punches, not just yelling at somebody, but the physical confrontations those are normal, almost everyday behaviors. And some of these people are, in a sense, they're used to having a club or a knife or, in some extreme cases, guns pointed at them. Most of them have either been beaten up or seen their friends beaten up or shot or stabbed, or they've been on the giving end of those situations. In, you know, in, in some extreme cases, they've been the one who have stabbed or shot at or shot other people and the reason that i'm I'm talking about some of this stuff is to let you know that that hardened criminal they're really not going to be intimidated by you or me they're not really intimidated by the police they are in as much as they understand that the police for them equals being locked up and that's what they don't want to have happen and they're not really afraid of being locked up again they don't want it to happen but if it happens that they'll just they'll deal with it when it does they don't want to deal with it they don't want to be locked up but if they have to deal with it they will so again if if we're looking at the person who comes into your home while you are there and they know that you're there. So they're breaking into your house. It's two in the morning. They understand that that there's probably a 99.9% chance that somebody's in that home. So that person is a, is a person who's pretty hardened. And most likely, they will have at the very least been drinking. 
they may be on meth, they may be on coke or something like some type of drug that's going to kind of speed them up. So that the person you encounter, let's say you're lucky, and if all that they've been doing is drinking, you're now dealing with someone who, while they're not going to be sloppy drunk, but is somewhat impaired. And what that does, it's it's basically it has lowered their inhibitions. And if they had much to start with, they are now their their inhibitions are now pretty much gone. And the potential for things to go really, really bad for you goes way, way up. In my experience when I was talking to a lot of these kids, and actually when you talk to their parents, and a lot of them were surprisingly relatively open with me about what they had done, uh, why they did certain things, uh, and possibly because they didn't necessarily see me as somebody that could cause them a lot of harm in the future as far as getting them into trouble legally. But a lot of them talk about when they would go and rob houses, they would usually have at a minimum two, sometimes three, sometimes even four people. And you would have two or three that would go inside and one would stay out as kind of a lookout and let them know. Uh, so that if you ever, you need to understand that, and it would be the same thing too if if they're coming up to rob you. You may be only seeing one person, but there's probably another guy either around the corner or another guy who's actually walking up behind you now. This is what they've learned to do. They've learned that it's better to operate as a team, they've learned it's better to it's better to if you're going to attack somebody or rob somebody or go into a home, you're much better off by going in there with one or two other people. Earlier, I talked about the fact that a lot of these guys are going to be impaired. They're either going to be drunk or they're going to be high. And again, it's not to the point to where they're you know they're falling down drunk or they they can't uh, operate, so to speak. Um, but their inhibitions and what they may, even for them, a line that they may not have crossed, they're going to cross that or they're going to be much more likely for them to cross that line uh, now that they've got something that's making their, their brain work a little bit different. So again, those inhibitions are gone. Uh, there were uh, also, when there's a couple of them, what happens is is they're not going to want to look bad in front of their uh friends or their partners there so they may again they may push it they may go a little bit further just to show that person that they're with how badass they are or how crazy they are now speaking of things going a little bit too far for them maybe they didn't really want that to go that far they didn't want it to get that out of hand and for them they may regret that things got out of hand but don't mistake it, it don't make a mistake it's not that they feel bad that you got hurt or that you got raped or that you got killed but that by going as far as they did they made their current situation worse for them but they again they don't really care about you they don't care about what happened to you they uh, like i said before most of them that i dealt with no remorse, no regret. Same thing when I would talk to their parents or maybe some of their older adult siblings or aunts or uncles. If they had kind of what we used to call a checkered past, they really had no regret about that stuff. So uh, some of this stuff can, can help you with later on, maybe in training, 
when you when you're trying to look at the mindset of that person that maybe that is attacking you or that's broken into your home and that's why you need to try and pick some training that will incorporate at least some type of hands-on training you want to have some stuff to where maybe you get kind of tossed around a little bit or to where you can uh, it sounds kind of odd to say it but if you've never taken a punch before it can be a little startling but what you need to realize is is even though it may hurt and it may hurt a lot is that you can move through it because the guy that's coming into your house he's sort of gotten that training on the street and don't think that just because maybe somebody's a little smaller than you or that you think that you've got height and weight on them that you're gonna again be able to take them out in a fight there was a kid that I knew, and all we'll we'll call him Andre. That's not his real name, of course, but he was probably about oh five six, weighed about a hundred and I think probably maybe about one hundred and thirty pounds. But the kid could fight, and he was tough, and he routinely fought, and he liked to fight, and he routinely fought people that were bigger and stronger than him. And he wasn't afraid of getting punched. He wasn't afraid of getting hurt a little bit. So again, just know some of these people that you may that you may encounter. You need to keep it in the back of your head that these people, they may, number one, be impaired, either through drugs or alcohol, or they're not going to be afraid of you. They're not going to be afraid or intimidated if you say, I'm going to give you an ass whipping, because they deal with that kind of stuff all the time. They're used to it. That's the world that they come from. Now, I haven't said all this stuff and talked about this stuff to make you think, well, man, there's nothing I can do. A lot of these guys, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, criminals are dumb. Criminals are stupid. But a lot of these guys I dealt with, they weren't stupid people. A lot of them were. A lot of them were real low and, you know, they were swimming in the shallow end of the gene pool. But a lot of these guys were smart and sophisticated. And a lot of these guys, too, even if they didn't maybe have as much going on upstairs as they should, their friends and family have gone through a lot of this stuff and they've kind of schooled them on how to this is how you rob people this is what you look for so that if you are and we're we're going to kind of swing it over maybe to to our perspective now and how they would see us if they see you looking around if they see that you're aware if they uh, maybe think that you're going to be a little bit too much trouble for them they're going to move on and they're going to pick somebody else. And it goes again also to how your home is set up. If you've got a security door in the front, if you've uh, got your house lit up in a way or it's set up in a way in the front to where from from the street everybody can see what's going on at the front of your house, they're going to maybe pick a different home than yours to try and break into. Or if they have picked your home, and you've got window locks and you've got made sure that all your doors and everything are locked and that you've got good lighting around your home, again, they're going to try and pick somebody else. Not so much that they're intimidated by uh, by you or by me or by the police, but by it's going to make it harder for them to get the stuff that they want. And these guys are, um, they want to have the least amount of effort to get the most reward. So they do sort of look at some of that risk reward stuff as, as that's how we termed them a lot of times when we were dealing with them is they they weigh the risk that they're going to have to take to get the stuff that they want. And if they think that you look to be too hard of a target, 
they're going to move on to somebody else who looks to be easier prey. So again, that's why I would stress, get some training. Get some stuff where you actually have some hands-on, where you go physical, to where if you're not able to get your gun, maybe you don't. Maybe you're in a restaurant where you couldn't take it in. Maybe you're in the post office and this stuff goes down. You don't have that firearm. You want to have some other options, and that's why it's important to get some of that good hands-on training, get some good real-world stuff. Um, a lot of the, the, just kind of as a quick aside, we had done a lot of training um, for the physical kind of aspect of it, not only from when I worked in detention, but also from when uh, I was out and had the caseload toward the end of my career there. They were doing some what they would call physical training and stuff for us. One of the most valuable things that we did is they had a thing called, uh, and some of you guys that are out there in law enforcement or do some training will will know what I'm talking about. They had what we call red man training. And you would have a guy that would get dressed up and basically would be all padded. And that way you could actually kind of go at them a little bit more. uh, You could be a little bit more physical with what you wanted to do. But then also that person in the simulations that we would do would be more physical with you. That type of training is invaluable because it really kind of it puts into your head and it gives you some confidence of okay, even if somebody's a little bit bigger than me or maybe if they're smaller than me but they're a better fighter, I can still I can still defend myself. I can fight back. And if you fight back, most of the time it's going to work out better for you. If you're in a situation, especially when you're in your home, again, if you fight back, if you put up enough resistance, a lot of times these guys, and this is from personal interviews and things that I did with people, if they got somebody that was going to be too much of a problem and they didn't feel that they were going to be able to take them or if, it was, if they thought that maybe they're going to get hurt, they're going to, they're going to leave. And, and they, they'll go try and, again, pick on somebody else who's a little bit weaker, who isn't going to offer resistance. So don't ever think that what you should do is just sort of roll over. Um, and I know I'm kind of getting off into some stuff where I, I'd like to add some more things. Because there's, there's obviously there's going to be situations where if someone's got a gun to your head, the best thing for you to do may be to just give them your wallet and let them, and let them take it and then you walk away. It's better to give somebody a wall, your wallet or give them your money rather than get a bullet in your head and you're dead. But again, I, I'm kind of going off on a little bit more of a tangent where I don't want to be too much today. So anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget, I also have the Armed Ape podcast. And I'm going to try, uh, I'm doing that about almost once a week. And I'm going to try real hard to bring this up to maybe not a weekly thing, but to try and get it out there while I'm doing it at least every other week with this show. Uh, it's A lot of times it's a lot harder. As as you all know, life gets in the way. you got stuff with your you know, with your kids and your family that you got to do. And, and the reality is that stuff does always have to come first. Um, but speaking of some of the other shows too, you got Carl and Tom and Stan and uh, Travis over there at the Gun Dudes, or I guess I should say the Gun Dorks. Uh, but give those guys a, a listen. If you're not listening to them, you should be. They're a lot of fun. I, I uh, look forward to their weekly shows. And uh, they're a real big pick-me-up. And uh, Eric does a real good job. He's got the Handgun Podcast. He's and he busts them out. Like I said, every pretty much every week. I don't think the guys, uh, the guy has missed one yet. So, uh, and there are tons of shows over there. There's Mick with the Armed Citizen, Ken with the Urban Shooter, 
Uh, Mark, when he has the time to do them, and when he does his podcast, uh, Gun Rights Advocate, there's the news podcast we've got. There's, uh, of course, Alex over at uh, Practical Defense. There's um, Max with the Liberal Gun Cast. There's Truth About Guns, and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. Um, there's the Pro Arms Podcast. There's, uh, uh, oh, um, and I'm not looking at it right now, so I don't have it pulled up, so... Like I said, I'm sure I've left somebody out, but there's, believe me, there's a show over there for you. If you uh, have stumbled across this show and you thought, well, I kind of like this show, or if you thought, eh, this isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread, go over to gunrightsradio.com. You'll find something that you like. Um, all right, that's going to wrap it up. Take care, guys. Hopefully I'll see you in about two weeks. Oh, the devil has given him superhuman strength.